International Institute of Biblical Institute. Thank you. Okay, good morning. Uh, this morning we have David Dietz here from the Institute of Biblical Leadership. And I have no idea what it's about other than <laughs> biblical leadership and what I saw on the board coming in, so he will explain that to us this morning. Uh, now let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you so much for this day and again the opportunity uh, to study your word together, to learn about your ministries that you have in this world. Uh, pray that you will bless us, help us to hear and understand. Uh, bless David as he speaks to us. And we just ask for... Uh, uh, your help this morning in, in, uh, in understanding and in, in uh, learning all about this. We, we pray that you'll bless David now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be able to be here with you all. So thankful for this opportunity and just grateful to be able to be uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. I was telling Daryl, I don't get out to this part of the country a whole lot, but I've been a few times, so it's always just a, a privilege to be able to, to be here and to be with you. Uh, we've known uh, Robert and Bethany now for well, maybe two years, three years, off and on, four years, not all of our lives, but um, last few years as we've connected through uh, some mutual relationships with uh, BMW and uh, IFCA and other things. And so just a uh, great privilege to be able to be out this way. Um, you may have the same questions that Daryl had of what is IBL and what do I do and what, what, are we, uh, what are we all about? And so that's what we're just going to take a little bit of time this morning to kind of talk about some aspects of, of our ministry, what we're involved in, what we do. And there's some information we'll talk about on the, on the back table there. And uh, but it, we're not going to spend a lot of time looking through this text, but if you have your Bible, you can look at Isaiah 61. Uh, Isaiah 61, we'll look at verses 1 through 3. This is a messianic prophecy speaking of Christ, to who the Messiah would be and what he would do and what he would accomplish and uh, oftentimes, I think we always have to be careful in the Old Testament not to over-apply things to us. Um, so keeping it in its rightful place in application, which is uh, necessary and helpful. And, um, um, but this, this passage in Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So again, this is the, the, the prophecy of what Christ would do, the Messiah would do. This is the, the blessings that he would bring. And the, the last part of verse 3 there, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting 
of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's really the heart of where our ministry kind of takes um, takes root, uh, no pun intended, as you'll see in just a minute. But it, it, it begins to form the, the idea and the, the philosophy behind what our ministry does. So IBL, the Institute of Biblical Leadership, has been around for probably 40 years um, and uh, was started by a man by the name of Russ Lloyd. He uh, ministered in um, the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, and the Air Force uh, sent him to do a doctorate degree in organizational leadership uh, in uh, at Purdue University. And while he was there, he did the, it used to be NANC, now it's ACBC Counseling Certification in Lafayette, Indiana. And so he kind of blended the two concepts of what does, how does an organization how does it function in leadership? What should it be structured to do and functioning to do and, and engaging in that process with what does scripture teach us about uh, being the leader that God intends us to be? And so he began to kind of blend those two thoughts together. And out of that, he began to do counseling, uh, helping uh, with missions and with uh, mission agencies, mission organizations, and then with pastors as pastors were struggling. And so over the time, that be eventually became a, an actual organization toward the end of the 80s, uh, maybe early 90s, became the Institute of Biblical Leadership. And over time, it has grown, and um, our ministry now is involved in several different aspects that we'll, we'll talk about just to kind of highlight what we do and then talk about the need for um, leadership. But the question is, what is IBL, and uh, we would answer it, it's basically this, it's a ministry dedicated to serving alongside God's leaders. Uh, every church has at least one leader, but more than that typically, and oftentimes when it comes to leadership, there's a struggle to know how does God want me to be, what does God want me to be, how does God want me to live, how does God want me to, to serve, and so our organization is designed to, to come alongside of God's leaders within churches and to help them to be the leader that God intends them to be. We would argue that leaders who honor God don't just come out of nowhere. They are cultivated, and it's a, it's a growth process, just like in our own sanctification process is part of that aspect. And so there's four things that we uh, highlight and um uh, that we bring attention to within this concept of leadership. And we use a tree based out of Isaiah 61, uh, verse 3, this oaks of righteousness metaphor. Uh, we use the tree as a means to kind of help us think through this process of uh, being the leader that God intends us to be. And so there's four parts of the tree that are color-coded, and there are four parts of the definition that are color-coded to match. And so we'll, we'll mention that here briefly. Um, but our definition, the way we would define leadership as God desires, is a Holy Spirit-led process whereby a Christ-like individual with a heart to glorify God influences others to embrace God's objectives. There's, quite honestly, a myriad number of definitions of leadership. In fact, there's probably a myriad number of books written about leadership. But for us, this is where we have rooted this definition is based out of Isaiah 61.3, this concept of the oaks of righteousness, the glorification of God. We can actually look at uh, the passage in Thessalonians where Paul is addressing 
uh, some of these aspects as well of being a godly leader from his own personal life and testimony that reflect this as well. But I want to kind of point out a little bit of the tree and uh, tie that to our definition. So the sap of the tree, the, the yellow that is flowing through the tree, that's the sap of the tree. That's what we would tie to a Holy Spirit-led process. In other words, the godly leader has to be somebody who is led by the Holy Spirit. We know that there are leaders that are not godly, not spirit-led. Uh, they might be good people, fine people, but when it comes to their own personal style of leadership, it's driven by the flesh. It's driven by the works of the flesh rather than driven by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit-led pra- process, this is our the, the practice of the leader, the, the spiritual disciplines of the godly leader. What is he relying on? Well, a godly leader needs to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in his life that's enabling him to or her to accomplish what God has called her to do. The, the limbs of the tree correspond to the Christ-like individual. That's our being as a leader, who we are. Um, what we would argue is this is who this, you are who you are when no one else is in the room. There's a lot of people that may come on Sunday morning that are, you know, we all, I grew up in church, got saved when I was four, uh, spent 20 years in pastoral ministry. We all know that we can show up to church and be the right looking person. But the reality is who we really are is who we are when no one else is in the room with us. Our character, our, our, um, our being. And so it's a Christ-like individual, somebody who is reflecting Christ in all that they do, wherever they are, whatever they're involved in, uh, they are a Christ-like individual. And then the, the roots of the tree, you can see the orange down there, the roots of the tree is our purpose or our motivation. It's a heart to glorify God. Now, that's kind of typically the Sunday school answer. Like, why do you do what you do? I want to glorify God. Okay, well, yes, that's good. But the reality is there are a lot of people who serve in leadership. Quite honestly, a lot of people who function in life who have a desire to do everything but glorify God. Even though the argument is, oh, I want to glorify God. Like, that's the Sunday school answer. I was a youth pastor for full-time for four years. And then, quite honestly, for most of my uh, years in pastoral ministry, I worked with our teenagers And we'd always talk about the Sunday school answers, right? God, Jesus, and the Bible. You will never go wrong if you say God, Jesus, or Bible to any question that's offered in Sunday school, right? The teacher's never going to get on you. Uh, So those are the Sunday school answers. And so a Sunday school answer is, well, my heart is to glorify God. Well, that may not actually be true. Your heart may actually be to glorify yourself or to to glorify uh, something other than God. And so we would argue that the roots of our tree uh, need to be, the motivation, the purpose is having a heart to glorify God. And then the foliage of the tree, which fits well here in northwestern uh, United States, all the green foliage that you guys have, uh, influencing others to embrace God's objectives. So that's the impact that we make. So a godly leader is going to have uh, the spiritual discipline to rely on the Holy Spirit. They're going to be somebody who is becoming a Christ-like individual. This is obviously part of the sanctification process. I mean, we don't get saved and magically we're, you know, we're sanctified. That's a, that's a lifelong process. They have a heart to glorify God. In other words, everything they do, every motive that they have is purely to glorify God. Again, that's part of the sanctification process. 
and then they're influencing others to embrace God's objectives. In other words, they're helping others to do what God wants them to do. It's really playing out of the Second Timothy chapter two, verse two. Uh, what you've heard from me, uh, the same to commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so all of our ministry is tied to this definition of leadership and these four components of leadership where we're looking at and helping elders, deacons, uh, other extended ministry leaders within churches to say, are, are you being or becoming the leader that God intends you to become? And so as we engage and minister in churches and uh, ministries, that is the heart of what we're communicating, the heart of what we're trying to accomplish. So what does IBL do? Um, there, are, there are really four major things, although I'll kind of explain that here in just a minute, that we are um, part of two, uh, two of these major components. So one is ministry in the United States, and then one is ministry around the world. And uh, all of it, though, is tied. All of it is tied into the, the, the tree and the concepts of, of biblical leadership based upon uh, that Isaiah 61, 3 passage being this oaks of righteousness, uh, the glorification of God. So ministry in the United States, uh, we're involved in training, coaching, consulting, and counseling. And I'll explain each one of those here in just a a minute, but these are the four major areas. These top four are the four major areas that we're involved with in the in the United States. So our ministry is involved in uh, doing some training of groups of people. So think of like uh, a mission agency that is preparing missionaries to go overseas, and they're going to be part of a team. One of the things, and I don't know how much. Uh, you guys have engaged in, in missiology and discussions about missions, but um, my wife and I actually raised support in uh, 2006 to 2009 to go to Italy as missionaries. And uh, we got up to 70% of our support. Our middle son, Andrew, had some serious health issues during that time, and so we couldn't continue uh, because of his health. But one of the challenges that missionaries have, they, they spend time raising support, they spend time preparing to go to the field and they're excited and they spend maybe two to three years getting all their support and they get everything moved to the country that they're going to and they get there and they're working with another missionary and suddenly they don't know how to get along with each other. And all of that work, all of those funds, all of that time and energy and effort can oftentimes implode as there are challenges in laboring together on a foreign mission field. That's oftentimes what we don't think about. So probably what happens, I'm guessing, at Coal Creek is a missionary comes through. Hi, I'm Dave Dietz. I'm going to Romania. Uh, would you support us? Oh, yeah. Wow, we're really excited. We're supporting the Dietz family in there in Romania. And then we don't really think much about it. We, we pray for them. We might get updates from them. But we don't know that actually underneath the surface, once we get there, we're having some struggles in the team that we're part of. And now the, the team implodes and all of that ministry work is, is in danger of not being accomplished. So part of what we do in the training is to come alongside of groups like a mission agency to say, as your missionaries are preparing to go out to the field, we would like to give them some tools and some help to be able to know how to work together and labor together so that all of that effort of getting them to the field and all of the effort of language school and all of the effort, I mean, it's, you know, oftentimes years and, and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get them to that place. 
isn't just imploded in the first six months or in the first year. Uh, we hear of, of these situations happening regularly around the world. And so part of our ministry is doing training with groups like that, mission agencies or partnering with colleges and seminaries or partnering with, we've just uh, completed some training uh, with a group of chaplains that are part of a, of a fellowship of churches. And uh, so we've done a three-year training with them every year, just helping chaplains work through what are some difficulties? What are some things that you guys are dealing with? How can we help you and give you tools in order to be the leader that God intends you to be? And then we are involved in coaching. Um, so I served for 20 years as in, in pastoral ministry. I was a youth pastor, assistant pastor, lead pastor. And oftentimes it is difficult for pastors or other leaders, other elders, deacons even, uh, to have somebody that they can say, you know, I just need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to get some encouragement from. I need somebody who, who is an objective outside person who knows none of the emotions of the situation, who I can just kind of say, okay, help me think through what I need to do and how I need to function and what needs to happen so that I can be the, the pastor that I need to be, or I can be the deacon that I need to be, or I could be whatever leader role that I have so that I can be that type of person. And so our ministry provides that for men and women all around the world. We have uh, women that are on our team, uh, some of our wives that help with that, minister to the women and, and coaching the men and helping them, just being an outside objective source to be able to engage in that process. And then a third component that we do, and, and this is oftentimes where we, uh, we get feedback from businessmen within churches, but what we've called it is consulting. That's really about the only word we know to, to use for it, but it's where a group of, of leaders within a church, so whatever leadership team is within a church, maybe having some struggles or challenges, or they just need somebody to say, you know, come and, come and just give us some refresher thoughts on working together and laboring together and ministering together, or maybe it's that, hey, the, within the team, we're having some struggles, like this guy has one expectation, this guy has another expectation, and we're kind of stepping on each other's air hose. And uh, now we're running out of air and we're not happy about that. And so just help us. Just help us think through uh, how, to be able to, uh, how to be able to function better. Help us think through how to be, maybe be able to structure our roles and responsibilities on the team a little bit better so that we could be effective to do what God has called us to do. And so that's part of our consulting ministry where we are helping church leadership teams. Um, so the training is with organizations or maybe you know fellowships of churches where you have multiple churches or mo multiple groups represented. Coaching is one-on-one. -on -one. Consulting is within a church leadership team as a whole. And then counseling is for ministry couples uh, who maybe it's not necessarily a moral issue that has happened, but it's some difficulty, some issue, some tragedy, some trial, some, some problem that has occurred where they need help as a couple thinking through, processing through from a counseling standpoint. And uh, so we provide counseling ministry to ministry couples. Um, we did not provide the counseling for this ministry, but we did provide the consulting for this ministry. In 2017, I don't know if you'll remember, but there was a mass shooting at a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. It was the largest mass shooting in America, November I want to say November 5th, maybe, or somewhere in that ballpark of 2017, First Baptist Church, Sutherland Springs. Uh, there was a very similar sized church building to this. There was about uh, 50 
uh, six people in the in the building that day, and the gunman came in, killed 26 of them, 25 were wounded, and uh, just devastated the church. And so they received counseling and help from a whole lot of other uh, sources, but our ministry was able to come in and do consulting for them as they moved on beyond that tragedy and just helping them transition uh, through that time. And um, and so that was part of the ministry that we were able to provide to uh, to the church there in Sutherland Springs. And so those are the four components that we do um, within the U.S. Those are those are our typical ministries within the United States. One of the there's two unique aspects of our ministry. At least I think they're unique. Um, one is all of us who have served or who do serve with IBL at one point were helped in our churches by IBL. So I, I, I don't know if you remember, there was that, um, that was a long time ago, there was that commercial or that, or that, that business, the hair club for men. And that guy would say, I'm not just a, I'm not just a client, I'm the president. Uh, so that's what I always think about with IBL. We're, we're not just serving IBL for IBL. We actually were served by IBL. And so all of us who are on staff, and even I think the majority of our board, um, have all been part of churches that utilize the services of IBL in order to help them, which then provides us the opportunity to say, listen, we know what it's like to be in a position where you need help, you need some outside help, and so we understand what you're going through. I, um, I became lead pastor, and I'll share a little bit more about this in the, in the morning message, but I became lead pastor of a church in Michigan in 2013. Prior to me coming to the church, the church had had two church splits, a merger, and a fire in the decade or so prior to me coming. And so you talk about some challenges. That I remember, I remember the week that I came to candidate, the church had 100 people in it, and there were 22 people on the search committee. That's some interesting numbers of you know, ratio there. Um, and I remember asking all of them, like, I, I know about this two splits. I know about the merger. I know about the fire. I know about all this stuff. I said, would you guys say that everything is good? And they said, oh, yes. Everything, you know, it's like, come on in, the water's warm. Um, yes, everything is good. Everything is great. And I'm like, okay, I just kind of take them at their word. And um, so the next Sunday, they voted on me to become the pastor. And one of the elders called and he said, hey, he said, Dave, we have good news. 86% um, vote for you to become the lead pastor. But he said, we have some bad news. I said, okay. And he said, we have three major issues in our church. And he listed off three major issues. And I, I was shocked. I remember being on the phone, just like, I said, and I told the guy, I said, Bruce, I was just there last week. And I said, you guys told me that everything was good. He goes, well, he said, we may have misunderestimated our problems. I'm like, or just didn't talk about your problems. And so as we journeyed through that process, I didn't know anything about IBL. I, was, I just had a, a friend of mine that was connected to them. And uh, so IBL came alongside of us and helped us walk through for the seven years that I was there. Every year just coming and kind of helping our leadership form together and grow together and change together and move forward together. And so that's one of the unique aspects of IBL is that all of the staff uh, and I believe all of the board, or most of the board, has been part of churches where IBL has served them. The other unique aspect of our ministry is that we provide all of our services for no fee to the church. Um, and what that allows us to do is that allows us to serve smaller churches, 
Um, there are there weren't I know that there are other groups that do kind of what we do, but most of them charge large fees, even to the churches, for them to come and to do their ministry. And so it was a conviction of of the founder of Russ Lloyd that we never would charge a church for any of our ministries. And so to this day, we haven't done that. Um, what we will do for a church is uh, when we're done with the ministry that we've we've been asked to do or, or believe we need to do, you know, a month or two later, we'll send them. Uh, here's just a list of some of the things that we expended out to get there. So like our travel costs, here's what it cost us. And we just simply say, would you pray about giving a gift to that? But if they can't, we say, great. And if they called us again and said, we need more help, we'd say, great, we'll come and serve you. And um, so we have had that, uh, that conviction of our ministry. In fact, if you go to our website, uh, you'll see that it's a whole, it's a whole page on our, on, our, on our financial aspect of our ministry. And so what God has allowed us to do is over 40 years to serve hundreds of churches uh, with no cost to them, no fee to them. Um, now, many churches will say, you know, hey, we'll, we'll give something uh, to try to help offset some of that. Um, but even if we had a church that said we can't afford to do anything, we would say, you know what, we're going to trust God on our ministry side for him to provide for us so that we can serve a local body of believers. And so that's been a great help. Many times churches, especially when they're in a crisis situation, uh, have suffered financial setbacks and they're not a, they don't have any excess money to be able to help. And so um, it's allowed us to be able to engage in helping churches all across America uh, that maybe could not afford um, to have help or to have uh, those resources. And so those top four things are what we do uh, in the U.S. And, and then we have what is called our international training. And this has morphed over the years. So um, Russ Lloyd, the founder, he, was, he served in Vietnam. And he and his wife had adopted a young girl from Vietnam. I don't know all the details of it, but they had adopted a young girl from Vietnam. And so Russ had, because he had served in, in the war, uh, so Russ had some connections to some Vietnamese pastors that he had been serving and ministering to. And so they, at one point, they had said, would you come over and teach? Uh, and just start teaching us here in Vietnam. And so he did. He would go over uh, probably twice a year and he would teach and and the Vietnamese would come to whatever location he was at, and, and they, they, it was led by IBL, it was run by IBL, and basically just Russ and guest pastors that he would bring. Well, in about uh, 2013, 2012 maybe, um, a church in North Carolina contacted IBL, and they said, we have some men and women in um, about two hours north of Nairobi, and we would like you to do some training for them. And so IBL partnered with this church, did some training for them. That had come to a completion after a few years. And I had just become the, the lead pastor a couple years before that at a church in Michigan. And we had a connection to a national, Kenyan national, that our church did a lot of ministry with. And he had asked, would you at some point be able to provide some training and some teaching for us in East Africa, because we don't have the resources to, you know, there's not a lot of seminary options. There's not a lot of uh, Bible training options. Would you provide some of those resources for us? And so we began to talk. Um, I was still pastoring at the time. We began to talk, though, with the team at IBL, and we realized that our training in Vietnam was not actually consistent with our philosophy of ministry within our organization. 
and I'll explain that. Our philosophy of ministry within IBL is that we have no authority. As a parachurch ministry, we have no authority over a church. In fact, a parachurch ministry is, should only view themselves as coming alongside of a church to help them in an area where maybe they don't have the resources to accomplish what God has called them to do. And so we realized with our training, the way it was set up in Vietnam was IBL was kind of saying, hey, we're going to go train who's with us. And we wanted to mirror our international training with our actual organizational philosophy that says we come underneath the authority of the local church to help them accomplish what God has called them to do. And so we kind of flipped our international training on its head. And we said we will only do international training at the request of a local church in the U.S. who has a desire to go train men and women wherever they're connected. And we'll come alongside and we'll facilitate that for them, but we're not going to be the ones driving that, if that makes sense. And so our church in Michigan, the church in North Carolina, decided we, they would like to do that. And so we started two locations in, uh, in, in Kenya. One was in Nairobi and one is in Kajabe. Uh, Kajabe is about two hours north of Nairobi. It's where the Africa Inland Church kind of got its start in uh, Africa back in the day. And there's a big hospital there in Kajabe. And so we began to do our training there under the authority of Biltmore Baptist Church and Whitneyville Bible Church as they, were, as they had a burden and a passion to train the men and women they were connected to in these countries. And so we, established, we developed a whole new process of our international training, which was to provide uh, over a three-year period, um, two modules each year, about a week long, uh, where we provide, over that three-year period, we provide 20 classes. Each class is about two hours long. 20 classes on theology, 20 classes on pastoral ministry, and 20 hours on leadership. The leadership stuff is a lot of our material, which is rooted in the, in the tree of our, of our practice, our being, our, um, our motivation, and our impact. And so we began that process. And then we also wanted to say, well, we want this to be sustainable. So in other words, we don't want to just go and kind of check off a box that we did training. We want to be able to make it sustainable. And so what we've done is after each module is over, we hold over, uh, usually it's about five or six leader of leaders. These are typically seasoned pastors in the majority world. And we invest in them for a day or more with intentional discipleship. And the goal is over these six modules, they'll get an extra day where we're training them to be trainers and training them to be disciplers and training them to be teachers. So that the, at the end of those three years, we would now have five or six men in each location who would be able to serve alongside of us and help us as we train others. Uh, because the goal is to say we don't want someone in a majority world to be dependent upon the white middle-class American person. We want them to find their sufficiency in Christ, which is where we should all find our sufficiency. And so we want them to find that sufficiency there. And so uh, in, in uh, Kenya, we, have, we started that and then COVID hit. I mean, that's the, that's the trend for everybody, right? COVID, COVID is like blamed for all the crazy in life. Uh, but we started it and then COVID hit and then we had to stop it for about two years. And then we began it up again. And so in, um, in April of 2024, we will complete uh, what should have been only a three-year deal, wound up being like five or six. Uh, we'll complete that first round. And we have, between those two locations in Kenya, uh, in, in Nairobi and Kajabe, we have 11 men 
who have been trained and discipled and mentored to be able to be teachers and trainers with us. And so starting in December of 2024, we have identified six locations now in East Africa, one in Uganda and uh, five in, in Kenya, where these 11 men are actually gonna train alongside of us and do a whole nother round in each of these locations with the same principle. 20 classes of theology, 20 classes of pastoral of pastoral ministry, 20 classes of leadership, and then training five or six to be leaders of leaders. So the goal is that by the end of 2027, uh, these guys will have done a whole nother round, and then from there, they can take it. And now we've trained up, at that point, 30 to 35 nationals who can then teach and disciple and mentor and just continue that process. All of our material is being translated into Swahili, so that between English and Swahili, they can get it into tribal languages, they can get it into the bush or villages, the places that we could never go. And so we, that's our new process of the international training. And so since then, we have begun a training in Ecuador. Uh, we had a pastor contact us from Minnesota, who they're, they're connected with a missionary who planted several churches in Ecuador. And um, they, they did a great job of evangelism, but not really a great job of discipleship and preparing those guys. And so they said, would IBL come alongside of us and help us to do that in Ecuador? Um, since then, we have a couple of churches that have asked us to uh, begin that process in India. And uh, we're looking at a few other locations as well. And so uh, in a decade period of time, starting looking at one location, so for instance, Kenya, that's kind of our prototype, uh, over a decade of time, we believe that we can train about a thousand nationals in these 60 classes and that we can raise up about a hundred disciplers in those locations to be able to train a disciple and, um, and help further educate and instruct and, and give guidance to those uh, nationals there. So that's the two major aspects of our ministry. Um, one of the things about us with our international training is that we raise all of the funds to provide that training for uh, the men and women in these majority world countries. Most of them are, are, you know, not able to, they're barely able to provide for their own families, let alone provide for any excess of, of wanting to take college or, or uh, seminary or anything like that. And so that's what we're able to do and provide. And um, again, uh, providing that at no fee and no cost. Uh, as much as possible. So those are the those are the five major areas, the four in the U.S. and then our international uh, training. And so I'm here today by myself. My wife is actually finishing up. A, she just did a, an 18-month intensive RN degree, and uh, it's about killed us, um, mostly her. Um, but she has got two weeks left of that, so she is. Uh, we're looking forward to that being done. Uh, but this is who we are. Uh, this is... Uh, my family, my wife Kimberly, and my daughter Rebecca, who is 15. Uh, my son in the middle there is Caleb. He is 20. And my son Andrew is uh, 17. And uh, so Caleb is a senior in college. Andrew is a senior in high school. Uh, Rebecca is a sophomore in high school. And so uh, that's our family. That's probably maybe almost two years old now. Um, it's amazing. I always feel like we have to keep updating family pictures. But um, So that's our family. That's who we are. Um, and um, thankful for them and their, their sacrifice to, to uh, let me do what God has called us to do. My wife does get to travel with me occasionally, and probably once she's done with school, that'll happen a little bit more often. Uh, she's planning on uh, doing some ministry with me in Ecuador in um, 2025, and then occasionally she'll come with me to 
uh, to a different churches uh, as the need arises. Um, but uh, that's our that's our family, and that's our the ministry of IBL. Again, um, what we do and uh, who we are, uh, the Holy Spirit-led process whereby a Christ-like individual with a heart to glorify God influences others to embrace God's objectives. And uh, it's a ministry that God is blessing and God is growing as churches find out about us. Um, IBL was really just kind of a mom and pop deal for a number of years. It was kind of like whoever was leading it, whatever they could do was about all it could do. Uh, we made a decision a few years ago to, to expand it and to bring on other people to help us with that. And so um, we're seeing God blessing and growing uh, the ministry and growing the organization to be able to help uh, encourage leaders around the world uh, as, we, um, as God allows and allows us to be able to um, function in that capacity. So that's a brief, quick overview of what our ministry is. So hopefully that answered some of your questions. Um, uh, we hear that often. Like I had the same question. I didn't know it. 2013, I didn't know what IBO was. I, in fact, the way I got connected um, was when they did the installation service for me at our church. When I got there, they said, um, you can have one of your friends come and be part of the service. And I'm like, okay. So I contacted a friend of mine, and um, not because he was connected to IBL, but he was kind of doing some volunteer work for IBL. And so he came, and, and he was going to be there Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. And I'm like, I told him, I said, I don't, I don't know what this IBL thing is you do. Like, I don't know what it is, but I said, it can't hurt, at least I thought, it can't hurt our guys to get some help in leadership. And, you know, I'm just, I'm a big fan of, of helping leaders grow and, and, um, so he came and he, we had planned to do like a three hour Saturday morning. He was just going to do a couple sessions on just leadership things. And, uh, our church had mentioned our church had had, uh, some challenges, you know, church, two church splits, the merger, fire, all of that just was a lot. That stuff had never been addressed. So the church had split, but then it had come back together. And, um, so there were a lot of broken relationships within our church and the two churches had merged together, but there were still two churches under one roof. Uh, and you could tell that, like the one church would sit on this side and the other church would sit on this side. And like, you could feel the tension when you came to church on that, on Sundays. And so uh, I remember uh, uh, Joel was teaching that Saturday morning and I had like I'd only been at the church three weeks. And so they didn't know me and I didn't really know IBL and I, I didn't know anything. And so there was a guy sitting beside um, Joel, where Joel was kind of up front teaching, and there was a, the, the, the one guy was sitting next to him, and that man was actually the chairman of our, our chairman of our elders at the time. And he had a conflict with another man who was in the room that went back like 30 years. Like this had been going on, like almost Hatfield McCoy type of thing. I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know to the extent that it, it extended. And so Joel is talking about relational sin. And how we, we have broken relationships and then it causes us to sin and it just goes downhill. And so he does not know anything, but he says, let's imagine, let's imagine. And he grabs TJ and he said, let's imagine that TJ, and he puts his hand on him, has a problem. And I'm like, I can't believe, like, I can't believe he chose him. Like, that's not cool. But I'm like, there is no way, room of 20 guys, there is no way Joel is going to find the other guy. Well, the other guy was sitting next to me in the back corner. And I think the only reason why Joel picked him was because he saw me and then just went to either side. 
And so he goes, let's imagine that TJ has a problem with, oh, I don't know, Tom. And it was like the air went out of the room. And, it, you know, everybody's looking at me like somehow I had tipped, you know, Joel off to this. And I'm like, I hadn't tipped Joel off to anything. And so Joel was like, I feel like something just happened. Uh, maybe we should take a break. And um, so it, that sent us on a really crazy journey over seven years of actually beginning, able to begin to address some things. Uh, within our church, and IBL came alongside of us and helped us. And so um, that was where I was. That was just 10 years ago that I didn't know anything about this organization. And uh, now I serve as the vice president, and, um, you know, I guess you get hoodwinked into, into stuff if you're, you know, not just a, a client, but now you're the vice president. So, um, but we love what we do, love what God allows us to do. We're, we're able to serve a number of churches and ministry leaders, both here in the U.S. and around the world. And uh, I think one of the greatest enjoyments is to be able to do it, like we say, at no fee, no cost uh, to them. So we truly are a faith-based ministry as a whole. We're always trusting God for all of the funds to, to, to cover the organizational needs, to cover the project needs, to cover our own personal needs. And God is more than faithful. Sometimes I'm not sure how he's going to be, but he always is. And um, I'm not a big fan of living by faith. I would just like, you know, if God just dropped what I need for the rest of my life, just dropped it into my bank account and let me just kind of play it out for a while, the planner in me would really like that. Uh, but God apparently has not decided to do that. And so, um, uh, but he is always faithful and always provides. And not just for us, but for uh, so many others, all of us. And so uh, that's the heart of our ministry. And uh, that's what we enjoy about what we're doing is able to be a blessing and an encouragement to to others. So that's us in a nutshell, our ministry and uh, who we are. Uh, on the back table, you can, I don't know if you're technologically savvy, but there are some QR codes, uh, or you can just go, quite honestly, you can just go to iblministry.org uh, and skip the QR code. Uh, but you can go to our website, learn a whole lot more about the different things that we do ministry-wise. Um, but there are, on the back table, there's a little, um, I don't know how to call them other than uh, like a little brochure, I guess. Um, those are our kind of update newsletters. They're not really updates. Um, we, we, we put those together about three times a year, and they usually have about four or five leadership articles uh, just kind of helping churches. Usually two are written by people that we have served who are just talking about how their church is growing and what they're learning and, and just trying to be an encouragement to others. And then two of the articles will be written by staff members. And so uh, you can pick those up. Those are free. And if you would like to receive those, they're free. We send them out to you. Uh, we just need to know where to send them. So if you just give us your, your name and your email and your, and your address, we will uh, add you to the list and send those to you three times a year. Um, and so if you'd like to you know, receive that, there's, there's copies there. You can pick those up. The last two editions, I think, are there. And, um, uh, and then if you'd like to receive them, we'd be happy to give them to you, send them to you. Uh, for free. There's also on the back corner, um, I've written uh, two books. One was a dissertation. We'll talk about that in the morning service. Uh, but I just recently wrote a book called When Men Have Miscarriages. It's on helping um, men when they and their wife have gone through the loss of a baby in the miscarriage. And so uh, there's a couple extra copies uh, that I brought with me. So if you have somebody that you know or somebody that would be uh, that would be a blessing, feel free to grab that. You can just take them and um, want to be an encouragement and a blessing to, uh, to you and to your family. So I think, what do we have? What time is it? I think we have 30 seconds, maybe one minute. If you have a question or two, I'll be happy to answer. But if not, I try to land the plane right on time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
That's a great question. We don't have many. So we have, right now we have four full-time, and uh, we have three that are part-time. So um, uh, we have a man that we just brought on full-time who's kind of learning the ministry. He's eventually going to become the director of our operations, handling more of the operations side. So as we've grown um, and expanding, he's going to have to, because I'm not that person. Like, you don't want me handling your finances. Uh, so he's going to handle that. And then... Um, um, we have a, a late, actually, so I guess technically we only have um, uh, three of us that are full-time because we hired a lady to help us in our counseling ministry and then she had a baby. So, you know, that was, I guess we had to let her do, I know, how dare she? Uh, so she is actually, uh, for right now, she's on a on maternity leave and a sabbatical and, and um, uh, so I'm not sure what her future will look like. So there's three of us, Keith, David, and I are full-time. And then um, uh, Joel uh, Tetro pastors a church in Arizona and ministers with us part-time. And then uh, Derek uh, is, is very part-time. He handles basically the logistics of our Africa training. And um, so I'm the one who's out the most, probably doing most of the ministry stuff. David serves as the president, and so he's trying to handle all that, plus the operations. That's why we hired an operations guy to eventually take that over. So we're not a big staff, um, but we... But in comparison to years ago, um, you know, we have really grown because there was only ever just one. And so now we're seven, three full-time and uh, three or four part-time. So. How many we're, of those are missionary-supported real quick? Uh, we're all missionary-supported. Um, and so that's, uh, yeah, so we're all supported as missionaries, which then allows us to be able to serve the churches um, uh, without fee and, um, and trusting God to provide. Um, which he does. So, I swore after Italy and after we ended our deputation and raising support, I told God I'm never going to raise support again. Like, don't even don't even think about that. And here I am. So uh, now I've told God I'm never going to go minister in Hawaii. I don't know if I don't know if that that works for him or not. He hasn't yet because I've never been to Hawaii. But uh, uh, we'll see. He I don't think he works on reverse psychology. So, <laughs> but. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for letting me be here, and uh, thank you for um, uh, what God is accomplishing here at Colt Creek, and uh, look forward to a great time in our morning worship. So.